Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on the Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hello, happy afternoon. Welcome to Coindesk TV. You are watching the Hash. Today I'm joined by Wendy O from The O Show and David Z. Morris, the Chief Insights Columnist here at Coindesk. We got four stories coming up for you. Catch you up on all that's happening in crypto and culture. Dave, we're going to start off with you. Got some new back and forth in the CZ versus CFTC case. Yes. So listeners, yesterday heard the Hash team discuss this major new lawsuit against Binance by the CFTC claiming a wide variety of things. We got a response from Binance under CZ's byline today. Right off the bat, I will say it is not a very convincing rebuttal of the CFTC's claims. And the pull quote that we put in our headline here kind of sums it up where he says that it is an incomplete listing of facts, which when the facts are the various evasions that you've done against the law and you're saying they didn't get all of them, not necessarily a great way to put your rebuttal. And there are a few other nuances here where Binance does something that it has done before, trying to slightly misdirect, in my opinion, rather than rebut. And so, you know, not inspiring confidence on that front. We did also have the head of the CFTC appearing on CNBC this morning, saying basically what they had said in their press release yesterday, that there was clear evidence of attempts to evade criminal controls. And having read parts of the 50 plus page suit, that certainly seems to be the case. And I will point out one last thing and then we'll discuss. CZ also took to Twitter to post his famous four in response to the CFTC charges. That is FUD, right? And he may not have figured this out yet, but he will eventually figure out you can't just call a 50-page charging document FUD and have that make it go away. So I don't know if the strategy is playing out very well so far here, but what are your thoughts, Will and Wendy? I kind of want to say that this is a nothing burger. And the reason why is I'm not saying that CZ is innocent. I'm not saying that Binance is innocent. All that I'm saying is being a retail investor, watching all the predatory practices of these three, four-letter agencies, the way the government's acting, the way our public servants are acting towards crypto, it doesn't really make me confident in them pursuing charges against any of these companies. That's not saying that these companies didn't do anything wrong, but I'm starting to really, really lose faith in our public servants and our judicial system here. 
Also to CZ and Binance, they've operated, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was summer of 2020, you were not allowed to trade on Binance anymore if you were a US citizen. They literally blocked people. So they got the notice from the public servants said, you know, Americans can't trade here because you're offering these types of products that we only offer to super rich people, which are the accredited investors. So you can't trade here anymore. And you were forced to use a Binance US account or trade elsewhere. I was one of those people. I used to use Binance. So they did comply with laws and regulations. Then we have their crime department that has also been complying with the CFTC from what I've heard. And I think at this point, what's going to happen is they can go after CZ and Binance all that they want. But what's really going to happen? Are they going to arrest him or are they just going to pay a fine? I personally think that they're probably just going to pay a fine and settle because they're not even operating in the US and they don't even want to operate in the US. The only body that they want to have in the US is Binance US, which follows the current guidelines that are given to us by the public servants. However, we still don't have clarity from the SEC. What is a security and what is it? And now we're seeing the CFTC and the SEC fight over this case because they're indicating that Bitcoin, Ethereum and Litecoin are commodities, which is contrary to what the SEC said. I think you summed this whole story up really well, Wendy, which is that it's a whole hot mess of confusion. What's going on here? So CFTC is involved talking about commodities. SEC is on the other side of this talking about securities. The CFTC is alleging that Binance broke rules going back to the founding of Binance. So 2017, 2018, Binance is coming back and saying like, we implemented a lot of these policies after in 2020 and 2019, and we did boot US users. Where that falls in terms of like being liable for letting people use your platform for a little bit, I'm not quite sure. I'm not a lawyer. I wish Jen was on the show today. She might be able to give us some guidance on that fact. But I think Binance does have like a little bit of pushback there, saying that you know they did try to abide by US laws. That being said, there are some absolute gems within this document that we really have to look at. For one, do you guys remember that infamous group chat called Wire Fraud that SBF had with a few other colleagues at FTX? Well, there's one that's even better in this case, and that is Re Hamas. They had a group chat called Hamas talking about different transactions that occurred on Binance that were going to people connected with the terror group Hamas. I think that tops the wire fraud group chat that we saw with FTX. There's some other mm-hmm. stuff in here talking about their compliance officer who stepped down in 2022 and how you know they didn't really have compliance. And he put that in text, how the .com, Binance.com version did not have compliance for quite a while that anyone could log in and use the platform. I mean, those are the things you just don't put in text if you're an executive. You don't admit to the fact that they have that. The last thing I'll point out is they seem to have copied or somehow got access to CZ's phone. There's a lot of private text messages, including stuff from Signal, they're included in these documents. So people are scratching their heads wondering, like, how did they get access to CZ's mm. phone records? That is a lot of leverage in the case, at the very least, and may present some problems for CZ going into the future. To be clear, I don't think anything in these documents rises to the level of what we've been talking about with FTX or Doquan or these outright frauds, right? And I think that if Binance has a leg to stand on in the most serious cases here, it's going to be that maybe you had a few rogue individuals texting about these attempts to evade regional controls. I mean, it's a little bit harder because CZ seems to be involved in some of those conversations. I do want to just point out one last thing on all of this in the response that they posted today, which I think represents some problems with Binance's communication strategy that we've seen before, which is they point out in the charges that there were a lot of accounts trading against users that were controlled by CZ. In the rebuttal published today, Binance says Binance US or Binance.com didn't control these accounts. That wasn't the original charge. They're evading. They're specifically rebutting something that wasn't claimed in the original documents. You know, that might be good to cater to their audience 
to get the people on Twitter going four, 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 four. Oh, this is all fake. I mean, and that does seem to be their strategy is to play to the plebs. Let's be real. But that's not really who you need to be playing to here. And you're not doing yourself any favors by doing that kind of evasion. Let's talk about Disney in the metaverse. Disney is set to sunset its metaverse project with about 50 employees being laid off. This, of course, comes as the larger tech sector is seeing a lot of layoffs. Disney plans on laying off about 7,000 people before the summer begins, pivoting away from sort of these bleeding edge projects including their Metaverse division, which was only announced about a year and a half ago. I'm going to throw this one over to Wendy for your take on it. So it just seems to me that all of these traditional companies don't want to capitalize on Web3. Because honestly, this is the bear market. This is when we're supposed to be building. And you guys, I thought that the jobs report was super strong, that they weren't laying anybody off. And we had all these jobs and like inflation was going down. I digress. I digress. I think it's a mistake for them to do this. I think that they should allocate a little bit of time and money into Web3 and NFTs, the metaverse, all of that stuff, because we are going to get our bull run back. I know that there's some legal hurdles and regulatory hurdles that we're dealing with. But at the same time, I feel like it's probably not going to cost Disney a lot of money as an investment to really make this work and not go down the same path that Meta went down. Meta literally changed their name from Facebook to Meta and they kind of like abandoned their meta or whatever it is that they were doing. I think it's ridiculous. And yeah, David? Yeah, you actually sort of provided the great transition there, which I think one way to frame this, I mean, we've seen a lot of quote unquote metaverse projects get rolled back or scaled down. And I think just blame Facebook is actually a pretty good argument here, right? Like the entire reason they did this pivot to the metaverse, I don't believe that, you know, maybe Mark Zuckerberg has tricked himself into thinking it's real. But initially, the real reason it was done was to avoid legal heat for totally unrelated stuff. And just in the same way that in the past, they've said to creative types, okay, we're going to pivot to video, right? Anybody who's old enough remembers the pivot to video that ended up losing tons of people, tons of money, because they followed what they thought was Facebook's reliable lead. And the metaverse is that times 20, because you have big companies like Disney saying, okay, well, Mark Zuckerberg says the metaverse is the next thing. He must know what he's talking about. Mark Zuckerberg doesn't know what he's talking about. We know that now. And so you have Disney going down this road. You have Pepsi, Coke, whatever, all these people doing stuff because they think Facebook is the leader when in fact, Facebook is just covering their butts on something totally unrelated with this massive head fake. Will, I'll let you stop my rant. No, I love the rant. I love the rant. So I'm going to read some stuff from The Hollywood Reporter, which also covered this development. Disney, of course, has been going through its own transition, right? Their CEO was just booted, Bob Chapek, in favor of Bob Iger, their former CEO, who's coming back into the helm. And they brought him back in more or less to clean up Disney's act because it has been moving more towards like these bleeding edge innovation projects, spending a lot of money. And the board was not super favorable towards that. And so I think that's why you're seeing the Metaverse project get killed. Bob Iger is coming in, trying to clean up the books, clean up the finance side. And this was a pretty easy decision for him. That being said, let's return to the Metaverse stuff and talk about like why the decision was made in the first place. Bob Chapek was seen as somewhat of a visionary and is talking in November of 2021 about booting up this Metaverse project saying, quote, since Steamboat Willie, we've been the world's foremost innovative storytellers. That must continue as technology evolves, giving our creative teams new canvases like the Metaverse on which to paint. That's from The Hollywood Reporter speaking about this story itself. It makes sense that a lot of people thought the Metaverse might be like a new canvas, as he puts it in that. At the same time, it didn't make sense in the money side of things. Like you pointed out, David, like this was a big sunk hole just to sort of cash into 
and light on fire. It's very engineering intensive. It doesn't seem like consumers are really moving that way. And just looking at it from like 10,000 feet, probably a pretty bad decision for an in-person theme park-based company like Disney to pivot entirely into the metaverse. And that's why I got cut so quickly. The last point I want to bring up here is this just leads into like the tech trends right now. A lot of people are getting laid off in tech and our hearts go out to them. It is what happens during a recession or at least during fears of recession. You're going to see tech start laying off people first. So this is just a continuation of trend that we've seen here mm-hmm. at Coindesk for quite a bit. Wendy, you throw it over to you for last thoughts. Really quickly, I had a client when I used to work in healthcare and he did the hand-drawn animation for Disney. And when they started doing like the, I think it was Pixar, when they, I guess, acquired or merged over to that, they literally laid off all of the people that did the hand-drawn stuff. They gave them great pensions, but they did that to kind of salvage and transition into a new era. So it's actually kind of shocking to me that they're letting these people go when we all know that we're going more into a digital economy, especially in real life. One interesting point about this is Bob Iger, who's now the acting CEO of Disney, does have investments in metaverse-based firms, but he's still going forward scrapping the entire business. Join Coindesk's Consensus 2023, the most important conversation in crypto and Web3, happening April 26th through 28th in Austin, Texas. Consensus is the industry's only event bringing together all sides of crypto, Web3, and the metaverse. Immerse yourself in all that blockchain technology has to offer creators, builders, founders, brand leaders, entrepreneurs, and more. Use code THEHASH to get 15% off your pass. Visit consensus.coindesk.com or check the link in the show notes. Welcome back to Coindesk TV, The Hash. I'm Wendy O. I've got Will. I've got David here. And of course, we have to talk about crypto's favorite project, XRP. Because XRP surged to a five-month high as some point to Bitcoin commodities mentioned. So XRP pumped approximately 8% over the last 24 hours and traded just under 50 cents in Asia morning hours today. And apparently that is a five-month high. I went ahead and took a look at the chart. I know I don't have that for you guys, but we had a beautiful, beautiful breakout. We probably will get that retest of about 51 cents. And if we can flip that into support, you should probably pay attention to 55 and 58 cents. That is not financial advice. But back to some of the exciting things. XRP Ledger, XRPL, has seen fundamental upgrades recently that may have contributed to the rise, as well as positive news in the SEC versus Ripple case. I personally believe that a lot of fundamental news is driving this because people are just absolutely tired of the SEC taking advantage of retail. And then part of the bullish outlook came as some in the XRP community said the classification of major tokens as a commodity in the recent CFTC ruling against Binance could mean XRP tokens were also commodities instead of securities. Now, I actually want to ask David this. We obviously know that there's a big, big, big difference between Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, and XRP. So I'm not sure if the public servants are going to view XRP as a commodity. Well, I mean, I think on its merits, you're correct. But, and I am, you know, not really in the weeds on the XRP discourse. But I do know that for many years, Ripple was attempting to push the narrative that XRP was not affiliated with their corporate entity, that they somehow had just found it and it was there and they built on it. My understanding of the facts is that that is not the case and that it is essentially a corporate coin. But you know, many of the people trading and holding XRP might have onboarded that sense that Ripple was trying to present, that they didn't create it, that it's just like Bitcoin. 
And so we might be seeing market action that is disconnected from what many would consider reality, but there might be more there that I'm not familiar with. And certainly the nuances of this case are changing every single day. And so I certainly wouldn't want to call these people wrong per se, but I do think that on fundamentals, if you're looking at technical and history aspects, it's a mistake to conflate mentions of Bitcoin as a commodity with how XRP is likely to be treated by the legal system. Yeah, I'll pick up there. No, I totally agree with you on that whole point, David. And I think this whole headline and narrative speaks to like the craziness in crypto that is still there. Like most people think like FTX got washed out, Three Rose Capital got washed out, Celsius, Voyager, all that happened. There's still just insanity within crypto markets, especially within the retail corners. Like this is not going away anytime soon. And I think this story does speak to that somewhat because XRP is rallying right now, as are a lot of altcoins. And if there's some connection to Ripple or XRP, I should say, somehow being classified as a commodity, it just seems very weak, right? So like in the CFTC case, we saw that Bitcoin, Ether, Litecoin, a few others were labeled as commodities. And this has been a back and forth to the SEC and the CFTC for quite a while. And for fans of XRP or really any other token to look at these blue chips, Bitcoin, Ether, Litecoin, that have been around for so long and really cemented themselves as commodities and say that we might be commodity because we have a similar market cap or we trade in similar volumes on different exchanges. That's just insanity and it's incorrect. Yeah, that's you a misunderstanding of the way the law works. <laughs> definitely, definitely it is. And like, that's one of my favorite points. I'll throw this to you in a second, Wendy. David Swartz, who is the CTO of Ripple Labs, Ripple Labs being one of the developers and pre-mined owners of XRP itself, said that XRP is a commodity but I mean, he works for Ripple Labs, which owns a bunch of XRP. So like the people making their own pronouncements on these coins tend to have a bag of the coin in the first place. Throw it over to you, Wendy. I'm going to get dragged for this. I will say, and I'm not telling anybody what to do. Bitcoin maximalists do the same thing, is they have a bag of Bitcoin and they Definitely. talk about it in a positive aspect. That's just kind of human nature. So I'm not here to make it about Bitcoin versus XRP. I will say, I remember when I first got into crypto, end of 2017, I made a Coinbase account and the only three cryptocurrencies available were Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Litecoin. And if you wanted to trade XRP, you wanted to trade any other the cryptocurrencies, you had to transfer your Bitcoin off for the most part because that was a very popular trading pair. We didn't really have stables like we do today. And you had to send it over to a wallet at a centralized exchange. We didn't really have DEXs either. I think, well, we did, yeah. but those were kind of hard to use in scary days. <laughs> Yeah. The other thing I'll say on the commodity question that is important to this and other discussions is that people have to remember that the CFTC and the SEC are, in some sense, competitors. And so when one of them characterizes a token as either a security or a commodity, you can't take that as gospel of any sort. That all has to go through the courts. The agencies are really just trying to expand their remit with those claims, ultimately, and say, okay, I mean, for example, Ether is still debatable whether that's even a commodity. I hate to say it, but it is. And so when you have Ether laid out as a commodity in the CFTC suit, that doesn't mean that's the last word. That's just the CFTC's argument. And they're going to have to show that in court among everything else. So even when, for example, you have a CFTC official say something is a commodity, that's not gospel. That's still just somebody's claim. So that's important to keep in mind too. Will? Last thoughts on this. The Ethereum versus XRP case is interesting to look at because both had centralized team at the beginning. Both had some sort of foundation. Both have technologists continuing to work on the platform. So it might be simple to look at these things and be like, oh, why is Ethereum a commodity and XRP is not necessarily a commodity? Or at least these major regulators are not looking at it like a commodity. 
I think it really comes down to the distribution of the token itself after the launch of it. And the Ethereum Foundation and a lot of other people in Ethereum have done a very good job of moving that token into the community. And then there's been native utility built up around it. Now, you could debate about the real utility of these tokens if flipping for JPEGs or for a DEX transaction is really utility. But I think the CFTC and possibly the SEC at some point look at these things and be like, okay, there is a difference between the two of them based on the utility of the token that has developed over time. Pretty interesting story here, as we know, about two weeks ago, which, boy, time moves fast. The uh, Euler Finance, I believe DAO, I don't know if it's a DAO or a DEX, but it was exploited using a flash loan by a, we'll call them a hacker, although the debate about exploits versus hacks is ongoing. And that person has now returned a lot of the funds, mostly Ether, I believe, and has promised that they will return the rest. And I think the most interesting part here is that some of these on-chain transactions include notes where the exploiter is apologizing, saying, I made a mistake. I'm sorry, I've caused damage to people's livelihoods. And I'm very interested in speculating about the mindset of this person. And I think it speaks to some larger trends. Particularly, I think it might be arguable that this is somebody who's realized that they're at serious legal risk and is trying to walk that back. But I'm curious, I don't know, Wendy or Will, what do you think about this hacker? I don't know. It's always just so bizarre to me to see people do bad things and then send the money back after. Like, you didn't think this through. I don't know. I will say that I do like that a lot of these projects do have bounties so that the teams like challenge you to exploit, challenge you to find a bug, and then they reward you for that. I feel like that would probably be a more better way (laughs) to play around with code and safer because eventually, I feel like everybody gets caught. So I don't know. I just think that it's good that they did return some of the funds. And I get operating in a true decentralized economy. I'm not here to tell people what to do, but I don't know. Don't do stuff that can get you in trouble. Use your smarts for other things to do good, I guess. Well, yeah. Yeah, just to walk back a little bit here to look at the story with some context. Euler Finance is a DEX, uh, mostly in the Ethereum network. It's super loved within the ecosystem. Uh, It was thought to have very good security. And then it fell prey to what we call a flash loan. Basically, someone was able to manipulate assets that were on the chain to pull out more assets than they really should be able to on this lending protocol. And that led to a collapse of the total volume locked on the protocol itself with the amount of assets, aggregate assets on the DeFi program went down by about 96% over the last month because of this hack. So you went from a top lending program on DeFi to one of the worst performers. And that's really what happens with these hacks, right? Is you're a great program. A lot of people want to use you. People love your token. And then you get hacked and all of a sudden your project is dead. So with that context, let's turn to the comments here that we see from the hacker itself. He's apologizing, saying he made the wrong decision. He's returning the money slowly. It doesn't really matter though, because this project is going to have a very hard time coming mm. back from what happened. It's more than likely that this project really doesn't see the same potential it had in the past. The responsible thing to do in these situations is to report a bug, get a bug bounty, and move on. Especially in this case, where the person decided to make a decision to return all the money. They basically wrecked the project and they've wrecked themselves and there's not really coming back on either side. Dealer mm-hmm. Finance could have some sort of like comeback story and that has happened in crypto time and time again. But you know, there's often more cases where you don't really come back into the light because you got hacked. So pretty sad story all around. We wish the best to the Euler team. Hopefully they're able to continue recovering funds and get their project back on track. I'm not as much of a DeFi expert as I would like to be, but these flash loans have become a repeated vector. I do understand that traders need them for certain circumstances, but 
Is there a scenario where flash loans become less common as an option because they can be so easily exploited? Yeah, they're pretty dangerous. You just have to use them correctly. Normally used for arbitrage and keeping prices steady on exchanges, but sometimes you can use them to exploit. So it's a tough balance. We'll close out the show there. That's David Z. Morris, the Chief's Insights columnist here at Coindesk and Windy O from the O Show. If you enjoyed this, you might like some of the other program we have on Coindesk even more, Women Who Web 3. We have Twitter Spaces on Wednesday, March 29th at 5 p.m. Eastern. Also check us out on the Hash uh, Podcast, the Coindesk Podcast Network. You can listen to us for your ears. You don't have to look at us. Lastly, we got All About Bitcoin coming up at 3 p.m. Eastern today. Thanks for watching. We'll see you guys tomorrow. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.